When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome once again to the 50 Years Ago in Hockey podcast. This is our 122nd weekly weekly episode. I'm your host, Rick Cole. Every week, right here on the Hockey Podcast Network, we take a trip down memory lane, back 50 years, and bring you all the hockey news from that time period, exactly as it was reported in the words of some of the greatest sports writers of all time. This week, it's March 13th to 19th, 1972. Well, if you like what we do here each week on the Hockey Podcast Network, you can really help us out a lot by going to patreon.com slash hockey 50 years and subscribe to the podcast this also helps out our twitter feed which we're happy to say we're going to get back at within the next few weeks and uh, we hope we're going to have coverage of the 1972 playoffs that's when we believe we'll get back to normal but we're working hard at it anyway the covid stuff for us is just about all the same it's very frustrating but we've streamlined uh, the approach to our research and we hope that'll let us get Get things done a little better. So if you'd like to help us out again, it's patreon.com slash hockey 50 years where subscribers get early access to each week's free podcast. And we have a special episodes we call overtime episodes where we get into a little more detail on our stories and uh, you get some stuff that you won't find anywhere else. We have a lot of WHA stuff coming up in the near future as well. Uh, let's get to this week's news. As is our custom, we're going to start out with the NHL standings. And uh, in the Eastern Division, the Boston Bruins, uh, a seven-point lead over the New York Rangers right now. Uh, record of 49-10-10, and 10, 108 points, seven up on the Rangers, who are 45-12-11, and 11, and that's uh, how the Eastern Division's looking. Montreal Canadiens solidly ensconced in third place with 95 points, but the real battle is for fourth between Toronto and Detroit, and at this point in time, as we began the week, the Leafs had opened up a five-point 
uh, margin over the Red Wings. Leafs with 72 points, Red Wings 67. Uh, the bottom two teams in the East were Buffalo and Vancouver, with the Sabres holding a one-point lead over the Canucks, but the Canucks with two games in hand. In the Western Division, Chicago had a 17-point lead over the Minnesota North Stars, 93-76. to But just to show you where uh, the Western Division actually is, the leading Blackhawks running away with things would be no better than fourth in the Eastern Division. As we mentioned, the North Stars in second place. And then the real battle in the NHL is for the final playoff spot in the Western Division. And that's where St. Louis 59, Philadelphia 57, California 56, and Pittsburgh 54 all have a realistic shot at either third or fourth place don't worry about the Kings. They're back about 11 behind the Penguins with 43. And all they're doing is looking towards next year. So the rest of the news this week. Well, the week began with a very nice ceremony at the Olympia in Detroit where the Red Wings retired Gordie Howe's fame number nine. Family and friends were in attendance as was United States Vice President Spiro Agnew representing the American government. Richard Nixon, I believe, was uh, somewhere in a country called China or something like that, doing some, the probably the only good stuff he really did for the American government. A good time was had by all, and uh, Gordy and his family, Gordy especially, was very moved by the ceremony. Now, less of a headline, but nonetheless very significant, was this story this week out of the Western Hockey League. Guile Fielder, he's a, the senior citizen of all senior citizens in hockey, other than Gordy, and he's in uh, Salt Lake of the Western League. He became the highest point producer in the games, the professional games history when he scored the winning goal in the Portland Buckaroos 3-2 victory in Salt Lake over the Golden Eagles. He was playing for Portland at this point. That goal of 14.55 of the second period was Fielder's 1,858th point in a career played almost exclusively in the Western League. Uh, and that's one more than Gordy Howe accumulated in 25 years in the National Hockey League. The goal was equally significant to another Western Hockey League elder statesman, Art Jones, who drew an assist on the play. Jones' assist marked the 24th consecutive game in which he had picked up a point, and that's a new WHL record. Winnipeg's Barry Ross had set the record in 1958-59, and Fran Huck of, De of Denver tied it earlier this season. So a new professional hockey scoring leader, the great Guile Fielder, and I always wondered why Guile never really made it big in the NHL. Some guys just aren't liked well enough to make it big in the NHL. Well, another nice story, although it's a sad story too. Uh, Y'all remember Bruce Gamble a couple weeks ago had a heart attack during a game in Vancouver, but he took very ill the next day when they went to Oakland, ended up spending a couple weeks in hospital in Oakland. Well, it looks like uh, Bruce's career is probably coming to an end, 
and uh, he won't play again. It's, it's not been officially announced, but that's the way it looks. Anyway, the Philadelphia Flyers have informed Bruce, you have no money worries. You have a job with the organization as long as he wants, and good on the Flyers for taking care of that in a very uh, quick manner, making sure Bruce won't have to worry about providing for his family. And another good news story. We're full of good news to start the week. Uh, Minnesota North Stars, by virtue of playing uh, to a second place standing in the Western Division of the NHL, now are virtually assured of setting a new regular season attendance mark after 15,325. Watch the North Stars tie the Maple Leafs 2-2 or to begin the week Sunday night at the Metropolitan Sports Center. That crowd brought the season's total in Minnesota to 5 35924, which is an average of 15,314 fans per game. That's about 900 over last year's average, which put a regular season total of 565-616 at the Met. Ted Blackman of the Montreal Gazette had a bunch of hockey notes for us this week, and we're just going to provide them for you a lot of these we found in other uh, other publications as well but ted had them all uh, compiled in one spot uh you remember last week we talked about that fire in st louis that very nearly took the life of scotty bowman of the habs a coach upon hearing of the montreal players fearless attempts to rescue bowman from the smoke-filled hotel room hector blake Toe Blake, former Canadians coach, said, I heard some of them say if it was me, they would have poured gasoline on the fire. Terry Harper added an amendment to the to the uh, statement by Toe Blake. He said, Toe, that's not true, but the referees would have done it. Quite interestingly, in that whole fire rigmarole, several Habs players missed the fire because of the lateness of the hour. They missed their curfew as well. When one of them arrived on the scene and asking what happened, Scotty Bowman, who by that point had been rescued, said, it's a fire sale. Luggage, top coats, and certain hockey players. Serge Savard had the last word on the fire in St. Louis. He said, J.C. Tremblay scored two goals and saved four lives. That's plus six on the night. The Philadelphia-Montreal game was on Monday night this week, and it represents a bit of an experiment by the NHL, uh, by the uh, CTV television network in Canada. And it was kind of, uh, they're looking to maybe answer the ABC's Monday Night Football. Now, they felt if ticket buyers respond to the unusual Monday night game, it could lead Hockey Monday Night in Canada next year, replacing some of the Toronto games on Wednesday nights that don't include Canadians. So they're looking at, uh, you know, Monday Night Football, Monday Night Hockey, maybe in Canada, if CTV likes what they see from the game this week. There is some criticism in Boston about the trade that the Bruins made to bring Carl Vadney from the Seals. The Bruins, uh, after the weekend, had allowed 39 goals in 12 games since the deal and had fallen quickly out of the Vesna Trophy race, although that's not the race they really wanted to win. Vadney had been on the ice for most of his team's goals against, and as the playoffs uh, were on the horizon, fans were beginning to wonder what happened to steady Rick Smith 
and the defense. I don't think the Bruin fans have a lot to worry about as far as winning games. But you know what hockey fans are like. If it ain't perfect, then it's awful. Phil Meir is the backup goalie for the Montreal Canadiens. And while he's pretty unhappy because he's just not getting the ice time and who wouldn't be? He doesn't take anything away from number one guy, Ken Dryden. Phil sits in the press box and he admires Dryden's artistry along with everybody else who watches Ken Dryden play. Mir says, I guess the thing that impresses me most of all of his abilities is his anticipation. Mir says Ken sees most of the plays develop and moves into position instantly. Uh, it's like somebody told me once about uh, Wayne Gretzky. Wayne Gretzky had uh, an an innate ability to know where the puck was going to be before it got there. And of course, then had the puck when it arrived. Ken Dryden was the same way. He could analyze the play and be in position before the play had fully developed. We're wondering how long uh, Carl Brewer will be with the St. Louis Blues. Some St. Louis Blues people say that Brewer has a knee injury that has gone straight to his head. A lot of people during Carl's days in Toronto described him as a head case. Carl is just a, a lot more intelligent than most of the people around him most of the time. Now, the experts say that Carl is fit to play. Carl says he is not. Teammates have seen him rarely during his month-long absence from the Blues. He's been spending a lot of time in Toronto. Now, when Brewer does play, the St. Louis fans are quick to get on his back and bloom. It all leads to one conclusion. Carl Brewer probably won't be back with the Blues next year. A lot of people think that uh, Sam Pollock has a degree of clairvoyance, must own a crystal ball or something. Now, he called up uh, defenseman Bob Murdoch from the AHL Voyagers, and that put nine defensemen on the Canadians roster. And everybody was saying, well, why did Sam do this? Then all of a sudden, Jacques LaPerriere hurts his knee, and Serge Savard cuts his leg rescuing Scotty Bowman, and all of a sudden, Murdoch's present is very important. Now, an interesting sideline about Murdoch being called up Ken Dryden whom we just spoke about he's Murdoch's top booster and he actually influenced management's decision to bring Bob up from the AHL Frank Advari, former NHL referee and not a bad one, was one of the, is one of the NHL supervisors of officials, and he was talking uh, to Ted Blackman about the World Hockey Association recruitment of NHL refs and linesmen, and Frank said, "We won't lose anyone we'd worry about." I got news for you, Frank. You better worry about all of them. Uh, not only uh, because they ain't that good, but because there aren't that many who are ready to step in. Frank says, we pay well, twenty five grand for a top ref, 13000 for the best linesman. And Frank says their pension plan is the best of any officials anywhere in sport or business. Uh, Avery said that the top people in the NHL, top referees, won't even be tempted. I guess that means like guys like Bill Friday wouldn't dream of jumping to the new league then, I guess. Bit of an interesting story to uh, close out Ted Blackman's uh, 
notes this week. And it's from about Dan Kelly, who was the uh, St. Louis Blues broadcaster and was doing the CBS Game of the Week. Dan admitted he deliberately lied during the play-by-play of the Minnesota-Chicago CBS game. Now, that was a game in which Lou Angotti crashed into the net and was not completely unconscious. Uh, He got a head cut and a shoulder injury, but a lot of people thought he'd gotten a fractured skull with the way the thing unfolded. Uh, Angotti does not wear a helmet like most players in the NHL. As Angotti was carried off the ice unconscious on a stretcher, Kelly was sure that the player's family would be completely uh, upset over this. And Kelly commented, Louie must be okay. I see him talking to Makita. Well, Lou wasn't talking to Makita. He was out of it. But Dan Kelly showed good judgment by letting the family at least knowing that Lou was probably conscious. He wasn't, but he spared the family any more grief. And as it turned out, Lou was not as seriously injured as it looked at the time. Gump Worsley, the Minnesota North Stars veteran uh, netminder and one of everybody's favorite goalies, is another guy who got knocked out cold this week, and that was by a Paul Henderson rebound shot in a game against the Leafs. The Gumper was caught square in the nose by Henderson's drive, which, by the way, was from point-blank range, and he went down like a ton of bricks. There's a famous photo of Gump lying on the ice, flat on his back, spread-eagled. <laughs> it's really one of the the iconic photos of, of in Gump's career. Uh, he wasn't as seriously injured like Angotti. He was out for a bit, but his nose was slightly rearranged by the blow from the puck. Now, Gump left the game. Cesar Eagle came in to replace him. The nose apparently was busted, and the North Stars called up Gilles Gilbert from Cleveland of the American League to uh, fill in for Gump. But later in the week, we got some really interesting news. Number one, Worsley signed a two-year contract to continue with the North Stars. And number two, and to most of us who'd followed Gump for so many years, this was unthinkable. Gump said he was seriously considering being fitted for a face mask. Really? A little WHA news for the week. The Ottawa Nationals have an arena to play in. They finalized an agreement with the Ottawa Civic Center and apparently will be playing out of Ottawa for the next three years. You may remember we talked about Al Eagleson and how he was uh, at odds, I guess you could say, with the WHA uh, organizers, which kind of tells you where Eagleson's, uh, I guess, uh, priorities lie. He, He was in the pockets of the owners. No one knew it at the time. Well, he had talked about the WHA being out of money basically with only 120 grand left in their treasury after the league's organizers had uh, taken their finders fees uh, and been paid. Well, Bill Page of the Ottawa Nationals was talking about it and he said what Eagleson said may have been as true as far as it went, but there were a lot of things that Al just doesn't know about the WHA. One thing Eagleson failed to mention is that the WHA had an emergency fund set up to bail out any team that might get into trouble and that emergency fund amounts to about 
a million and a half dollars. Fred Page also said that the fact that the league's operating account might be down to 120000 really doesn't mean much. The real cost in getting the league going, according to Page, is going to have to be borne by the individual franchise holders. That's where the real money is going to be spent. Besides, Page adds, there are regular assessments against franchises to pay for the costs of league office operations and finances in the WHA are nothing to worry about. Clarence Campbell was talking about the National Hockey League and expansion early this week. And uh, here's what we found out from Mr. Campbell. The lineup to join the NHL has lengthened. Campbell said that there was a waiting list of a dozen groups from six U.S. cities for two openings which will be available in the NHL for the 1974-75 season. Campbell says the tragedy, the tragedy of the situation is we're not capable of taking care of all the people who want hockey. We are going as slowly as possible. One of the five groups Campbell mentioned has paid a $25,000 application fee already. And we understand that was probably from the city of Cincinnati. Four prospective franchise holders from Kansas City and one from Cincinnati as well have they filed the former the formal applications and uh, apparently there are deposits on the way from KC others indicating interest are another group or two maybe from Kansas City multi-sports owner Nick Maletti from Cleveland and Maletti by the way this week announced that he is full steam ahead of building that big new 20,000 seat arena in Richfield, Ohio, about 20 miles outside of Cleveland. Now that an appeal by a planning board in Richfield Township was dismissed by the state Supreme Court. So it's full speed ahead for a Cleveland franchise owned by Nick Maletti, who's also in the process of trying to buy the Cleveland Indians baseball team. Now some other cities that are looking at trying to get into the NHL for nine 1974, the Indianapolis Aces of the American Basketball Association would like a hockey counterpart. The Baltimore Bullets of the NBA are looking to uh, get an NHL team and put the team in Columbia, Maryland, halfway between Washington and Baltimore, and two groups from Dallas, Texas. Now they're going the NHL's going to meet on May 25th, so all applications must be received by April 10th. Now at the meetings where they had all the governors uh, Monday uh, for this expansion meeting, a kind of interesting thing happened. Uh, the Cincinnati fellas, that this group is headed by Bill DeWitt, whose history is impressive in Major League Baseball. Well, what they did, they set up a reception across the hall from the room where Campbell was meeting reporters after the governor's meeting at the Plaza Hotel in New York. Now, Campbell rather abrasively refused an invitation to visit the Cincinnati party room. Campbell said, I told you do no good to have any kind of display here. This is not the time for it. 
However, by mid-afternoon, more than half the governors had toured the large room full of evidence supporting the city. And why wouldn't they? Free drinks, free food. Uh, who knows what other freebies were available there? Everything was there, big uh, banner in the room saying why Cincinnati is the number one market for NHL hockey was on display. It showed uh, how its population is bigger and spends more on sports and recreation than the people of Cleveland, Kansas City, Dallas, or Indianapolis. None of the cities has an arena large enough for the NHL that are applying for the expansion this time. But all of them say they're ready to build if the NHL smiles their way in May. Here's a, uh, another bit of franchise news from the National Hockey League. Charles Finley, according to Stan Fischler, is said to be ready to throw in the financial towel with the California Golden Seals. Fischler, here sa Fischler says the word in New York at the Plaza Hotel where the governors met was that Finley has quietly put the team up for sale and Finley, of course, promptly denied the rumor saying there's no truth whatsoever to that idea. Well, a reliable source, now remember this is Stan Fischler reporting so we don't know how reliable the sources are, but a reliable source according to Fischler says that Finley was asking for $7 million but he'll probably chop it down to $6 million. and what's a million among friends? or National Hockey League, or prospective National Hockey League owners. Finley's decision to sell out, according to Fischler, is based on the fact that the Seals have been consistent losers at the gate and that his baseball athletics are expected to lose a lucrative television contract next year. All of a sudden, says the source, Finley is finding he's in a tight money situation and it has been learned, again, according to Stan, that Finley already has approached associates to find a buyer. It doesn't matter what you want to say about general manager Ren Blair, the North Stars, I'll tell you this. He is a hard worker. He knows the WHA may cost him some hockey players. He also knows that with an expansion team, depth is a problem. So he's out signing players as quickly as he can. And on Monday of this week, he brought in Barry Gibbs and Dennis Hextall to his office and signed both of them to two-year contracts. And he also got minor league players Fred Barrett and Buster Harvey both who are considered to be surefire NHLs under under contracts for one year each now Barry Gibbs is a particularly important signing for the North Stars because he was at the very top of the negotiation list for the Calgary Bronx of the World Hockey Association if you've been following us for a while, you recall we had a story during the offseason on the Maple Leafs Blues and Flyers turning to uh, the use of computers to assist with scouting. Well, here's an update on that story, and I wish I could tell you who, who gave us this, but it is uh, just says staff uh, in the Toronto Star, so I'm not sure. Quite likely Red Burnett, but I can't say for sure. The uh, Toronto Maple Leafs computer 
has flunked another test, but the official report is that its progress is satisfactory. The Leafs, Philadelphia Flyers, and St. Louis Blues are developing computer programs, which eventually will process all of their scouting reports and rank all junior and college players. The Leafs hope the Optimum Systems Inc. computer will give them draft choices which com- who compare with those it already has produced for the Super Bowl champion Dallas Cowboys of the National Football League. However, the computer is still learning. From the outset, the Leafs have insisted it would take as much as four years to develop the mechanical brain. Well, it's not a mechanical brain so much as an electronic brain, but we're not going to quibble over words. In the latest exercise toward that end, the computer ranked more than 250 Canadian junior players. The Leafs, Blues, and Flyers officials met in Toronto uh, yesterday with Adam Lachande quite a name, of Optimum to discuss the results. We've still got a long way to go, commented Bob Davidson, Leafs Chief Scout and Director of Player Personnel. Davidson says a lot of the details have to be worked out to give all the factors the proper weight so the computer can make the correct decisions. For instance, says Davidson, this time it ranked Jacques Richard of the Quebec Remparts far, far too low. This is because we ranked the junior leagues of Canada and his league's rank in Quebec Junior meant too much in the computer's decision, meaning it reduced Richard's perceived value because he played in Quebec. As a result, now the uh, Lachande will adjust the Leafs program so the players league will not count so much in the evaluation. And as we've always said with computers, garbage in, garbage out. A computer will only do the work as well as the data on which it bases its its findings. And if you don't give it good uh, good information, it's not going to give you good results. Stan Fischler, another Stan Fischler story. What am I doing this week? He reports in the Toronto Star uh, that Clarence Campbell says that Bernie Pront will not play in the World Hockey Association. Now, I, I only got the uh, looks at the Star and the Hamilton Spectator in those days. And what I didn't realize after... Uh, reading that report but the found out later is that uh, wire services upi and canadian press had reported on this all over north america uh before stan had and a lot of these quotes came out of those reports but we'll tell you exactly what the report said anyway now nhl president clarence campbell is correct in his assessment of bernie Perron's future then the miami screaming eagles of the budding world hockey association really will have something to scream about next season and according to campbell Perrant will play with the maple leafs next year campbell's quote is i'm sure Perrant will play in the nhl next year I'm sure. And that was in several Wire Service and Stan Fischler's report. Campbell said, I haven't seen any evidence so far that Parat has been provided with a nickel. Of course you haven't, Clarence. Why would Bernie Parat show you a nickel or a dollar or a dime or anything else of what he got from the WHA? It's none of your damn business. 
Well, Campbell thinks everything is his business. He says, I'm sick of alleged promises. I want to see where he's getting the money. Well, Howard Casper was interviewed by uh, several writers, and Casper responded by saying, Bernie will play for the Screaming Eagles because of the size of the Miami package. Casper, who is a member of the Philadelphia law firm Davis and Casper, also represents Toronto Center Jim Harrison. And Casper said that Harrison has received a very lucrative offer from for his services from the Calgary franchise of the WHA. So Howard Casper has a lot of business with Miami and Calgary, which means they must be two can't-miss franchises in the new league. Okay, everyone, the NHL season has been packed with dirty dangles, hat tricks, and the big wins. And as the action rolls on, DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the National Hockey League, has your shot to win big as well. New customers can bet just $1 on any team and get $150 in free bets if their team wins. That's right. A bump in the win column for your team means free bets for you. If Sportsbook is not available in your state yet, you still have a shot to light the lamp. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Hockey Contest. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app right now. Use promo code TH. PN, that's THPN for the Hockey Podcast Network. Bet just $1 on any NHL team and you get $150 in free bets if that team you bet on wins. That's promo code THPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the National Hockey League. Must be 21 or over. There are some restrictions that do apply. Okay, this next story, uh, we've had a bunch of weird stories over the years. We've had this podcast and have been reporting on Twitter, but I promise you, I haven't reported on anything quite so strange as this story from Wednesday's Boston Globe this week, and we put the parental advisory out here. Uh, If you're a bit squeamish, you may want to skip this little segment. This is from Joan Mahoney of the Boston Globe. A two to three month old female fetus that was hurled onto the Boston Garden Ice Monday during a championship high school hockey game had been aborted recently, according to medical examiner Michael Luongo. The fetus was discovered by the men sent onto the ice to clean up debris thrown from the stands after Arlington High School scored its first goal early in the second period of the game with Norwood High School. Norwood, by the way, defeated Arlington 3-2 to win the Eastern Massachusetts Hockey Tournament Championship. 
Boston police officers who investigated the incident said they didn't know where the fetus had come from or who had thrown him. It was taken to Dr. Luongo in an empty popcorn box. The fetus was discovered at 8.55 p.m., minutes after Arlington had scored their first goal. According to Frank Mahar, a spectator who heard of the incident shortly after it occurred, the ice was showered with rolls and rolls of toilet paper, tennis balls, golf balls, and other sundry items. Mahar of Hathaway Circle in Arlington reported the incident yesterday to State Representative Jack Cusack, a Democrat from Arlington, who termed it absolutely sickening. No couldn't, no kidding. And he said he just couldn't believe we have such people in the world. Stick around for 50 years and see how goofy it gets. Well, we've been happy to add the Montreal Star to our stable of newspapers we get to do research in. And uh, Redfish, of course, was the legendary hockey writer from Montreal for the Star. He had quite a conversation this week, 50 years ago, with the Jacques Plante. Red uh, wrote in his column, In these days of spiraling prices and with further inflationary leaps anticipated once, or if the WHA goes into business, You've got Jacques Plante in your corner if you're an NHL owner. That's right, Jacques Plante, who has been known to squeeze the last droplet of green ink out of a dollar bill. What Jacques was saying last night in Montreal, and all of owners like the Bronfmans, Ballard, Wirtz, and Adams will dearly love him for it, is that no hockey player is worth more than $50,000 a season. Now hold it, what's that again? You heard it right, said Plant. I don't think any hockey player is worth more than 50 grand a year. Hell, why should we be pulling down that kind of money when people in other areas of professional life are struggling? How many PhDs can you name making that kind of money? How many doctors, professors? Before rushing out to call your friendly neighborhood head shrinker to have a look at Jacques, you should know that A, Jacques Plant is earning more than $50,000 a season, and B, he dearly enjoys earning more than $50,000 a season. As a matter of fact, he's so happy with the idea of making so much money that he's allowing the May Police Management to invest that entire amount for him, thus escaping the horrendous tax bite for now. But he must reclaim the money within the next 15 years, and by that time, he'll probably still be in the Vezina Trophy race. Jacques told Red Fisher that the best thing that ever happened to me was when I retired. Jacques said that when St. Louis came after him, they had to pay big money. But Jacques said he was happy when he was making 20 grand a year and much less than that. Jacques says, and while I'm happy to take all the money they're paying me now, I still feel that no hockey player is worth more than $50,000 a year. Now, what can we do? Can you imagine being paid all that money for something you love to do? Life truly is beautiful, according to Jacques Plante. Now, it's unlikely that Plant, who is and always has been his own man, will find much 
sympathy with his view among the personnel ranks of the National Hockey League, particularly among superstar talent that attracts well above that $50,000 a season. Are you listening, Bobby Orr, Phil Esposito, Frank Mahovlich, Bobby Hull, Stan Makita, Gary Unger, and many, many more? These guys listening to this, if you can believe that Plant can be serious at any time, then mark down his financial theory as the genuine article. Plant says, I think that's dangerous, that the way salaries have been growing and growing. The owners have big investments in their teams and their arenas. When did the forum pay for its renovation? How much did they pay? $9 million. They're entitled to make a profit. We can't or shouldn't price them out of business. Plot went on to say that when he came out of retirement and went to the Blues, he didn't believe the money they were offering him. Plot said that they even said there was more money coming if everything turned out well. Plot says, don't get me wrong, I'm ready to take everything they want to give me, but I still feel there's a limit. Dick Beddoes had this report in the Toronto Globe and Mail this week, and the following week we saw it all over the place. Actually, in the next few days from here, Beddoes was the first report that I saw, but it was carried by the wire services over the next few days. Charles O. Finley, who wants to sell his California Seals hockey club, has offered Harold Ballard, the owner of the Maple Leafs, the Cleveland Indians baseball team. Now, how does that work? Well, it's a little involved, uh, Ballard confided in Beddoes, but Finley called me with the suggestion, Ballard says, that he and several other owners in the American League think I would be a great buyer for the Cleveland Indians. Now, Finley has a noisy sort of influence in the American League uh, owners as proprietor of the Oakland Athletics. The price Finley mentioned for the Indians, Ballard said, was $8 million. Ballard said he might be interested if he could get partners who were willing to spend the money and Toronto had a place in which the Indians could play their games. If I got into the baseball business, Harold says, I'm sure as hell want the team here and not in Cleveland. Ballard had said that he has casually talked to one Toronto politician about one of the many stadiums that have received a lot of a Metro Toronto lip service. Ballard said that Alderman David Rotenberg had told him that he's going for a park at Downsview on the airport property owned by the federal government. Ballard said, I asked him if he was interested in investing in the proposition of a major league team for Toronto, but he said all he wanted to do was promote it. He didn't want to put money in it. Ballard said that that wasn't good enough for him. He wants partners willing to spend money if he expands beyond his hockey operations. The Associated Press has been reporting this week that the National Hockey League again is out to get Swedish star players and this time 
It's serious. Now, this uh, apparently the Associated Press is getting this from an unnamed leading Swedish hockey writer. The newly formed World Hockey Association also has talent scouts in Sweden saying they will try to buy about 20 Swedish players, but many star players, although their caution is their statements, have made it clear that they prefer the NHL over the WHA. Tommy Bergman, 25, is considered the best Swedish hockey player at the moment, and he confirmed that he received an offer from a big NHL club when playing at the Olympics in Japan. Tommy said, I know that about half the Swedish national team has been contacted by American and Canadian teams. Bergman said he expected hard negotiations with NHL scouts after the world championships in Prague, Czechoslovakia in April. He did not want to say which team he was speaking with. Those of you who know me know I'm not really a, a big fan of fighting in the National Hockey League. Ever since I was very young, I couldn't figure out why it was okay to fight in a sporting contest in front of uh, ten or 20,000 people, but it's not okay to fight on a street corner with a guy you got a beef with, you end up in jail. Well, it's because it sells tickets, boys and girls. Tim Burke of the Gazette talked about fighting this week with a rather interesting revelation. Boxing's bare-knuckle era is being revived by the National Hockey League. The new policy, nothing cut and dried, mind you, has been spectacularly evident in the last couple of weeks in nationally televised games, where linesmen had been rushing in, where roadhouse bouncers had feared to tread, they have abruptly put on the brakes and let a couple of players just simply slug it out until they were pooped. There was a Dennis Hextall versus Keith Magnuson bout that concluded in a draw. Then there was another main event between Magnuson and Nick Libet of Detroit, which also was a toss-up, even though Libet drew blood from the Spunky Hawks defenseman. In both fights, an inordinate number of blows were landed by the adversaries. Although maintaining there has been no change in company policy, they always tell you that, NHL referee in chief Scotty Morrison did point out that linesmen had been catching a painful number of stray fists, forearms, and elbows in the crossfire. He singled out the fight between Vic Hadfield of the Rangers and the Golden Seals' Bob Stewart, Rob, Bob Stewart, in which linesman Alan Glassbell was flattened by a Hadfield haymaker. Then there was good old John D'Amico, who caught a Bob Yor shot, flush on the nose, by the way, which uh, that shot was intended for Rosie Paymont. Until recently, linesmen had understood that with the new third man into a fight rule, they're trying to intercede in a confrontation with the utmost dispatch. Now they can rope off an imaginary square ring and let the players do battle till they're dead or something like that. Even if two players are evenly matched, take off their gloves and are prepared to go at it toe-to-toe, then let them go, says Scotty Morrison. The round and the fight in these conditions should be terminated either when one of the players is knocked down, either both fall to the ice, or when they're hanging on to each other's sweaters simply because 
they're exhausted. Now, since hockey players are not trained as pugilists, Morrison estimates that the duration of an uninterrupted bare knuckler seldom exceeds 35 seconds. But the linesman must also keep a keen eye of a boxing promoter and head off mismatches and non-matches. We've talked about this before, and we're going to bring this to you again today. Larry Regan of the uh, L.A. Kings, uh, he talked to Hugh McDonald of the San Mateo Times, who, by the way, have great coverage of the uh, California Seals. And he talked about the Kings not having a first-round draft choice until 1974. But Regan, of course, decries the popular theory that giving up draft choices is what put the Kings in the cellar. Regan says that of all the draft choices in the last four years, there are only 14 of them playing in the NHL. In no way is a draft choice by itself going to mean the saving of a franchise. With the exception of Perot and Martin in Buffalo, Lafleur of Montreal, I wouldn't train any of the players we have for draft choices. The only way an ex expansion team can attain parity with the established teams is by an equalization draft and Reagan admitted he didn't see much choice of the established teams giving up players to help the weaker clubs and our last story for the week we're going to go a little long here than longer than we'd like to it's a look at the upcoming June draft from Bob Morrissey of the Montreal Gazette who spoke to a bunch of hockey scouts about the top choices. We talked about the computer earlier. Well, here's the guys who really do the evaluations, the scouts, and what they think about this year's NHL amateur draft. When Toronto Maple Leafs general manager Tommy Smythe discusses Billy Harris, he goes further than just pointing out what most junior hockey fans already know. He's one of the best players and junior players that is in Canada he talks about Bill Harris in the dressing room he talks about Bill Harris visiting crippled children and he talks about Bill Harris while he's signing autographs in short he talks about Bill Harris the person before a game he takes charge in the dressing room even before the coach arrives Smythe says Bill Harris will talk to almost every player individually. He'll go over the other team's players, the defense, everything. Harris plays on a line with center Dave Gardner and left winger Steve Shutt. And Smythe likes to point out that all three of these guys stick together on and off the ice. They're tremendous, uh, the Marlies general manager says, whether they're working with crippled kids or visiting children's hospital. I ask them to go out one, two, three times a week, and they're happy to do it. And they think nothing of promoting minor hockey in Toronto. Now, all three of these players are expected to be selected in the first round of this summer's amateur draft. But the one who's attracted the scouts' attention the most is young Bill Harris, not to be confused with the former Maple Leaf, Red Wing, Penguin and Seals player, Billy Harris, now coaching in Sweden. It is generally conceded that Bill Harris and Jacques Richard of the Quebec Remparts will be the first two picks in the draft. As a hockey player, Smythe says flatly, Harris is the best junior in Canada. I've never seen him play a bad or, more importantly, lazy game. Harris is 6'2", 195 pounds, and he has 51 goals and 66 assists in 55 games this season. 
Smythe says the best way to describe Bill Harris is consistent. The New York franchise in the World Hockey Association put the entire Harris line on its draft list, and it isn't difficult to see why. According to Smythe, the line has accounted for 711 scoring points and 1,800 shots on net in the last two Junior A seasons. Shut alone had 600 shots on goal last year when he scored 70 goals, and after 55 games this year, Schutz got 63 goals, 13 less than Gardner. Jacques Richard also is a goal scorer in 57 Quebec League games. He had 68 goals, 86 assists, and his skating is such that many scouts rate him one of the swiftest players in junior hockey. The only thing he has to learn now, says a scout who unfortunately has to remain anonymous, is to play pro-type hockey. He won't be able to skate through a whole team like he does now. He'll have to learn to use his teammates. Now, Tommy Smythe feels that another Marley center, George Ferguson, could be the dark horse choice in the draft. Smythe says that George Ferguson is the strongest guy on the entire Marley's team. Ferguson has scored 31 goals so far this year. And uh, Smythe said that the only player in the Ontario Hockey Association Junior A Series who might be stronger than George Ferguson is defenseman Jimmy Schoenfeld of the Niagara Falls Flyers. Smythe says it's incredible how durable that Ferguson is. The rougher the going gets, the better Ferguson plays, and he's usually one of the Marley's best players when they have to play a lot of games in a short period of time. That's why some people think that George will make a better pro than a junior. He's got stamina, and that's important when you consider all the traveling they do in the NHL today. Other players who were expected to go in the first round of the draft are center Don Lever and Sean Feld of Niagara Falls, goalie Michelle Bunny LaRock, center Wayne Merrick of the Ottawa 67s, and Billy Barber, a center with the Kitchener Rangers. Western Canada also has some first and second round talent out there, according to Canadian scout Del Wilson. They are defenseman Dwight Bialois of Regina, Lauren Henning, a center of New Westminster, defenseman Larry Satchuk, who scored 44 goals for Saskatoon, and center Stan Weir of Medicine Hat, who has scored 52. And another highly regarded uh, defenseman is Phil Russell of Edmonton. Now, there's some other players in the OHA who are likely to go high as well. They are defensemen Jack Lynch and Mike Amodio of the Oshawa Generals, Paul Shakes of St. Catharines, and steady Tommy Thompson of Toronto. Prospects among the forwards in the OHA include Al Blanchard of Kitchener, Bobby McMillan of St. Catharines, Brian McSheffrey of Ottawa, Kitchener's Tom Cassidy, and Terry Ryan, a Newfoundlander, Newfoundlander who plays for the Hamilton Red Wings. One other goalie who could be drafted in the early rounds is Oshawa's goalie, Gilles Gretton. That's a look at the draft coming up this June for the NHL Juniors. So that is our show this week, everyone. A pretty interesting week. What did we learn this time around? Well, 
We learned that the Ottawa Nationals get an arena to play in, and the city of Cleveland, or at least the Cleveland area, looks to be getting a big big league rink, although there is yet to be a team established there. I used to think that uh, throwing an octopus on the ice in Detroit was about the strangest thing I ever saw at a hockey game. Well, I learned this week that I was wrong about that. We finally got proof of how much the NHL desperately wants fighting in their game. They're now telling the linesmen to let them go at it until somebody's either dead or worn out. And in NHL fights, most of the time it's worn out. Can you imagine the lawsuit would take place if the NHL officials stand back, let the players fight, and somebody's fatally injured? I don't like the sounds of that one. We've got at least one, maybe two, overtime uh, sessions coming up for our Patreon subscribers this week. We're in the process of getting those recorded now, and uh, we'll have some pretty interesting stuff for you on that. We apologize we haven't been as quick to get those out, but this damn COVID stuff has just made me a little slow in getting to things. But we will have those out for our Patreon subscribers soon, and if you really think you'd like to uh, get in on some of this information, patreon.com slash hockey 50 years to subscribe the 50 years ago in hockey podcast is produced by andy cole i can't thank andy enough for all his hard work on this we couldn't do it without him andy can produce a podcast professionally for you if you're thinking of starting one up get a hold of me i'll hook you up with him he's one of the best in the business the very popular Juno-nominated Toronto Indie Rock Group, the Rural Alberta Advantage, provides our intro and exit music. They're going on tour across the United States in May, and apparently they're going to have some Canadian dates as well. They put on a great high-energy show. Don't miss them if you get a chance to see a show. Other sound effects and musical pieces are crafted by Andy Cole as well. Our research comes from the files of the Toronto Star, the Toronto Globe and Mail, and one of our fine sponsors, newspapers.com, without whose help we couldn't do any of this. And don't forget our other sponsor, the Breakwall Brewing Company in beautiful downtown Port Colborne, Ontario. If you're ever in the Niagara region, head to Port Colborne and the Breakwall Brewing Company and I'll meet you up for a burger and a beer. You can find us on Twitter at AdHockey50Years and the feed will resume soon. We are on Facebook under the 50 Years Ago in Hockey banner. Have a WordPress site, Hockey50YearsAgo.com. And of course, you get this podcast every week on your favorite podcast app or right here on the Hockey Podcast Network. Thanks again to everyone who tunes in. 1972 is already turning out to be one heck of a hockey year. And it's even going to get more exciting as the year goes on. And we will be with you all the way. And on that note, we'll see you next time. When the ice breaks.